Welcome to episode 277 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spohr, joined, as always, on Tuesdays by Eno Saris. Eno, we're in mid-September. It's, cra- it's a crazy sports time of the year, especially for baseball. How you doing? Uh, barely hanging in there, man. Listen, you just got to get to the finish line, and then you can, <laughs> you can breathe a little bit. And I, I know it's still crazy in October, but, but I'm sure – you get to breathe a little bit more. I know you're probably going to be writing about the playoffs and all that, but you know they take mm-hmm. a break between every uh, you know every day in the series or, or two games and then a break. So you'll be able to breathe. It, it'll be nice. Hopefully, you'll be resting on a few titles, and we're going to help folks with that today. We mentioned that you know coming up with, with podcast-worthy topics this part of the season can be tough because uh, you know actually taking the information that we give and putting it into your into your league – there just might not be enough time for it to play uh, to pay any dividends. So we're working on streaming today, and and we're looking at the the key counting categories: home runs, stolen bases, and strikeouts. And we're just looking at some guys who have recently excelled in those spots, who are on the waiver wire. And we're going to give you a bunch of names. We're only going to talk about a few of them uh, in depth. So hopefully it's the guys that that y'all like uh, or that are available in your leagues. They're pretty widely available. I tried to stay away from guys. Uh, who were over even 50% at Yahoo, and I, che- I double-checked a couple guys who were low at Yahoo. They ended up being higher at uh, at ESPN, so I got rid of them. For example, Francisco Lindor. I was surprised he's so low. He's only like 32% at Yahoo, but then he was up at 70 at ESPN, so he's out. Um, so again, we're going to go home runs, stolen bases, strikeouts, give you some names, Talk about a few of them in depth, and hopefully, as you're finishing off your titles, you can stream some of these guys in and get some nice fantasy goodness. You know, let's start with the power because that is that is where it all starts. So, I'm looking over the last 30 days, and I'll give you some reference. At the top, this will surprise nobody. The most home runs in the last month, uh, 15 for UNS Cespedes. It's it's stupid mm-hmm. to even say that. 15 in the last 30 in, in the last 30 days. Just wait a day. If you didn't hit one, he'll he'll hit you one the next day. It's great. Um, Edwin yeah, Encarnacion. We gotta we gotta give some love here for birds because uh, Uenis is doing this on the power of the of the parakeet. Parakeet. And uh, 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 Edwin Encarnacion has been doing it forever with the uh, with the old parrot wing. So that's a great call. He's right up there. Uh, Encarnacion and Cargo at 11 apiece. So those are your leaders to give you an idea of where we're at. Because if I just tell you uh, these waiver guys who are doing it, you're not going to have any reference. So we're looking at a couple guys with eight, Chris Davis and Jed Jerko. Uh, And and Jerko's actually come in the last 33 days. I I bumped it back a little bit to give him some extra love there. Uh, And then Franklin Gutierrez, Mark Canha, Mark Trumbo. Eduardo Escobar all at seven, and then Jonathan Scope at six. Those are the names that, that should be widely available in a lot of mixed leagues. And I know you like a couple of these here. Let's start with Mark Canha for, for Oakland. He's had a really good season when you consider that he was a Rule 5 pickup, and, and those are rarely expected to stick around. And obviously, if they don't perform, they have to get cut and, and offered back uh, or offered back to their other team that can't go down to the minors. So for him to basically play the whole year has been impressive. Kanha is now uh, – he was supposed to be a lefty masher, and it turned out he does his best work against right-handers this year. He's wound up with 15 homers and seven stolen bases 
pretty good and lefties if he'd actually done anything against lefties it might have been an amazing season because he only has a 546 OPS against them with two of the 15 homers so we're looking at Canha I know he's a tough fit in because he's first base outfield and those are obviously uh, you know some of the deeper positions out there but what do you think of Mark Canha like I said a, an impressive righty at age 26 having a quality rule five season you know the there's something nice about the fact that I think I see an adjustment in his numbers is that, you know, when he first came up in, in March and, and, and April and May and June, he kind of hit basically one ground ball per fly ball and, um, you know, and kind of and pulled the ball a fair amount. And then in June, in late June and July, he, he got way pull happy and everything was on the ground. Um, so he went up to 1.7 uh, ground to ground to fly balls. And then in, in August and September, you know, he hasn't gotten – he's been more modestly pulled and uh, he's given up – he's hitting one ground ball per fly ball and uh, he's got the best hard percentages of, of, the, of his career, I mean, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, of the season. So I like that, um, you know, if, if his approach was the same all the way through and um, – you know, he didn't show an, any adjustment to pitchers or whatever. Um, I think I would, uh, I would say that maybe they figured him out. Uh, but uh, I, I see some adjustment there. I see some back and forth with the pull and push, um, and I see that it's sort of coming together right now. So, you know, that and the fact that I don't know that I, you know, you don't buy platoon split, reverse platoon splits until it's way into their career. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, uh, that sort of thing's supposed to take about a uh, thousand to two thousand plate appearances against le- against lefties um, to believe it, and you know he's not he's like ten years away from that. So, uh, <laughs> so I think uh, what I would say is that it's been good that he's done anything against righties because you know you'd be worried um, you'd almost be worried if it was the opposite that he'd just done what he's done against lefties. Then you'd say, okay, this is this is a guy that they're just going to slot in. Uh, against lefties going forward, he's going to be another Nate Fryman, um, you know, one of these guys that they just you know bring up and down. Now, I think there's an outside chance that he's an everyday first baseman next year. Yeah, um, it's funny you mentioned Fryman by the way because that's exactly who he was supposed to be, right down to the Rule Five piece of it. He was supposed to come in and be the short side platoon guy, and Canha has done more than that. And so I agree with you. I, I'm more impressed that he's actually done the good work against righties hopefully that piece can hold and then he slowly improves against lefties and then we might have the makings yeah. of something more here what do you what do you make of the speed how legitimate you think that is it's only seven stolen bases but from the first base or corner uh, probably corner really no one's put, putting him at first base but from corner that's nice to get a stolen base contribution and he's he's done it here and there in the minors uh he has a six season in 504 plate appearances seven in 455 so he's he's run around a bit uh in the minors too nothing over the top but i love the little contribution of stolen bases especially when steals have been tough to come by uh this year off the wire especially i mean i'd call it opportunistic rather than an actual you know necessarily uh, like a bankable skill but uh you know it's opportunistic and uh successful so far seven out of nine and i think it's backed up also by watching him play he's a uh, he's not a He's not even a vote, you know. He's a, he's not a moss. He's a, he's a young guy. He's a young, spry guy. I mean, he's 26, so he's not 
that's why they got him in the Rule Five and stuff. But you know, he's uh, he's not uh, a plotting slugger. He's a he can run, and you can also see that in his defensive numbers. I know it's one year sample, blah blah blah. Bad defensive numbers. We hate defensive numbers, blah blah blah. But uh, you know, he is 400 innings, and he's done at least scratch in the outfield. So it's not. He's not like, you know, an Adam Dunn type. He's a, he's a guy who can run a little bit. So, uh, you know, I think my projection for him, um, you know, I, I think that once you get to 410 plate appearances and he's shown this kind of power, I think it's, it's believable. I don't think you need to back up off of that power as much as people have uh, with their projections. So I think my projections would look very much like what he's done this year, plus uh, an opportunity uh, – a possibility of uh, upping that walk total just because he just always had that in him in the minor leagues. Um, and, uh, you know, he's slowly uh, walking a little bit more here in the late season. His best uh, walk rate other than May is, is September, October. So uh, it's not October yet without what am I talking about? But, I, you know, I, I, yeah, uh, it's, it's usually listed like that. And it's going to be September, October this year specifically because the regular yeah. season is carrying over into the first week. So we like my point is, like what he's done so far, uh, plus maybe twenty points of OBP. That's that that could work. So we like we like what we're seeing out of Canha, and we're going to you know keep an eye on it. And it could be something that could come really cheaply next year, uh, and, and and maybe even be better than what we saw this year. I, I like that. All right, next up is a guy that uh, we expect to get power from and, and probably expected a lot more power from this year, and it's kind of taken a while to give a little bit of a surge. Mark Trumbo, somebody you wanted to highlight from this list as well. Is it positive or, or on the negative end with him? Hmm. Well, the nice thing for Trumbo is that he's got three games coming up in Texas. Got him up. We're talking about, yeah, and since we're talking about you know, streaming in a sense, um, he could be a real nice short-term pickup not only because Texas plays so hot and has so much offense going on, but because Texas has a bunch of lefties. That's what I was going to say that. Yeah, so the righty, um, I'm not even looking at the splits, really, because uh, I, I don't want to get too much into a one-year split versus righties or lefties. But as a righty, uh, the kind of stance he has, the kind of player he is, I think um, he'll enjoy hitting off of uh, – you know, like a Martin Perez or Chichin Gonzalez, whoever he gets. I mean, Cole Hamels makes it, you know, you're kind of pushing it a little bit there. He gets the because, tough lefties. He gets Hamels and Holland. But right. he, he mashes lefties, and Mark Trumbo's power has never really been it, in question. Yeah, I think he might be able to handle Holland because, uh, you know, you get enough uh, fastballs. You get you get enough heat from Holland that you can sit fastball and um, – you know he's uh he's 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 decent against fastballs. So September um, nineteen twenty uh, day off, and then the twenty second he gets Hamels, Holland, and then Danny Duffy. So it's only three games, but we're we're on really small time here, and and maybe you're only streaming them for those three games. But I li- I like those three. Uh, uh, the well, Hamels, two pack, the two pack of Holland and Duffy is pretty good too. Yeah, the Hamels one is, is, is the tough one, but if you're just gonna go with the split, Trumbo's always hit lefties. Take your shot there, uh, and then it's just a bevy of righties for the for the rest of the schedule that is that is hammered out right now. They still don't have the rest of the Houston series or the final series against Oakland hammered out. But after the Duffy, uh, he gets Ventura, Cueto, Garrett Richards, Matt Shoemaker, Jared Weaver, and Lance McCullers Jr. So probably a short term use for Trumbo. Yeah, there's a couple guys that I liked uh, similarly because of the schedule. 
Um, you know, he said that Chris Davis was the leader of uh, the sort of waiver wire power guys. And um, Milwaukee is home. And I think, you know, that makes Chris Davis like, it's a little bit of, uh, no, actually, they're home for six in a row. So even if you don't get today's game, uh, you'll get five games. St. Louis is, you know, they have decent pitching, but then there's Cincinnati in town. Those could be some nice uh, some games. And if you really wanted to hold on to Chris Davis the rest of the way, you know, even though they're away in Chicago, St. Louis, and San Diego, that's not great. They finish at home. Um, and uh, that could be a nice little uh, three-game series against the Cubs, um, depending on, you know, who the Cubs are running out there based on, you know, whether or not they're in. And they, they really are running away with the wild card, really. So um, they, might be, they might be playing some, uh, some rooks there. So uh, Chris Davis at home. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to say that you have to play uh, Chris Davis only against lefties, and that's, that's still the, the, the smart play. But, um, you know, with a young righty, they're, they're going to have, in order to play at all, they're going to have to uh, play well against righties. So, um, you know, since he's, he, since he's been hitting homers over the last month, that means he's been doing well against righties. Uh, you, you don't hit eight homers just off lefties. So um, I think that's a decent one. I, I agree with you. I like Chris Davis. I think the power, if you're going to get something from Chris Davis with a K, it, it's going to be some nice power. And if that's all you need and you can afford the batting average downside, jump in there. Ideally, you mentioned some rooks that, that the Cubs could throw out there at that in that last series. Maybe they go to the veteran and just say, listen, Travis Wood, go out there and, and serve up some meatballs yeah. for Chris Davis. That'd be perfect. Uh, great. Yeah. That'd be perfect. Uh, the guy I'll really like is, is somebody I mentioned you know, a while back when he first got going on this on this hot hot streak, and it's Franklin Gutierrez. So I'm going I'm to stick with that. I mean, he's he's just been out of his mind, and, and it, it, it's more of a hot hand situation. I do believe that Gutierrez has proven better against lefties, and we just covered Seattle's upcoming lefties. So he's got those the, the that three-pack with Hamels, Holland, and Duffy. But I would just start Gutierrez pretty much against anybody right now because he's so dialed in. And no, none of those right-handers that I mentioned are scary enough that I would necessarily take Gutierrez out unless, of course, he's out of the lineup. You have to keep an eye on that. They don't play him every single day. Injuries have, have basically derailed his career up until this point. So they're, they're, they're being careful with him. And in fact, I think he missed a, a, a stretch of games recently, uh, probably due to some sort of injury. Uh, you know, the guy's just been beaten up. But I love what Franklin Gutierrez is doing right now. So he's somebody I like. You had somebody a little bit off the board who – it was a groin, by the way, for, for Gutierrez. You had somebody a little bit off the board um, in terms of these, these waiver pickups. But he might be more available than people think. And that's the return of, of Will Myers, the, the forgotten one. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's got three games and cores coming up, so – uh, and, and, you know, just generally, I think people have not really, um, you know, considered him. And, and you know, the, and from the questions I'm getting, he's in a class of players uh, that might be available. I mean, 41% owned in Yahoo is, 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 is perfect. You know, it's for not this list. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not available in all leagues, but it's, uh, it's useful. And, uh, you know, when you, when you get that nice boost from Colorado, maybe he, uh, he rides into, you know, He's playing, um, you know, not necessarily for his job, but like, you know, playing to show them, hey, I'm healthy, I'm here, I'm back, put me in your plans for next year um, and uh, and make sure that, uh, you know, you remember me. So, um, or, or even be traded, you know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of upheaval in San Diego if, if the last couple of years have told us anything. But in any case, three years in Colorado, three days in, uh, in Colorado make a lot of people feel better and uh, it might be the right time to pick them up. 
I totally agree with that. And they're they're in the midst of a series in Arizona, another place that can be friendly to hit. Uh, they come back from Colorado and face the Giants, but that starts with Heston Peavy, uh, and neither of those two is pitching particularly well here in, in the final stretch. Then it's with Bumgarner. You don't really want to get on that. Then Arizona-Milwaukee and finishes at the Dodgers. That Arizona-Milwaukee, again, is going to offer some pitching that you can take advantage of. So Will Myers is a good one. Widely available at Yahoo. Also ESPN, only 39%. So that is a good name. He didn't necessarily make the cutoff in terms of having a bevy of homers recently, but he could be more of an all-across-the-board all type of pickup. You know, he could, he could contribute a couple steals, maybe get a, some runs scored, uh, RBIs, decent batting average. He could really be uh, the, the, the full contributor there if you need, a, if you need to, uh, to fill a space yeah. in the outfield with Will Myers. I mean, if, without looking at the schedule and without looking at what they've done recently, if you just put his name in this list, I would take him over all of them. Exactly. I mean, he's, you know, he's the he's the the best upside, get best combination of you know of pedigree and youth and uh, and, and some track record. Uh, so uh, yeah, I like uh, I like him. And uh, you know, if you, you if you can't get too fine, if you have a certain amount of pickups, you know, you're limited. Myers is the guy. Uh, if you can sort of stream every day, you can go Myers first, then try to get Trumbo against those lefties, you know, then come back with, uh, you know, you know, let's not forget Jonathan Scope. Just I was because just, you read my mind. I love Jonathan Scope. I, mean, I keep whining about how I was in on him this year and I jumped off when he got the big injury and, and, and couldn't get back on board in time. You know, I didn't, didn't have the roster spot or people beat me to it when he came back and he's been Excellent since returning. Uh, Jonathan Scope is having a tremendous second half. And for a power-only guy like that, um, you know, to be home against uh, Boston the next couple of days, you want to, you know, rest him for four days in Tampa uh, because it's just not a good park. They have decent pitching. Um, you know, three days in Washington, kind of neutral. Three days in Boston, now you're starting to get good again. Three days against Toronto in Baltimore. I think that's a great series near the end of the season um, that you can sort of target having scope on your team. And then they finish with the Yankees in Baltimore, which I think uh, will be some high-scoring games. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, he's a great way to sort of finish. So, yeah, I might do, uh, if it's possible, Myers, Trumbo, Scope is a, is a nice uh, little solution. Yeah, Three excellent, there. excellent call on Scope. I'm a big fan of his. Let's jump over to the stolen base category. Again, for reference, D. Gordon's leading with 16 over the last 30 days, kind of Yoannis Cespedes-esque there. And then it jumps all the way down to Charlie Blackman at 7. And then we start to see some of our waiver guys here. we got Carl Crawford, Gene Segura, Cattell Marte all at 6. Ender Inciarte at five, and then Kelby Tomlinson, El- Abraham Almonte, and Michael Bourne all at four apiece. Let's start at the very top with Carl Crawford because that's the name that kind of stands out, uh, obviously, as a former superstar, but he's long been forgotten by the fantasy world. They're not all that interested in Carl Crawford these days, which, you know, it's kind of understandable <laughs> given, given what he's delivered, but he's back. He's running, only 8% owned, widely available. The name value has not, you know, carried the water and, and, and made him picked up or, or drafted in leagues, really. He, again, he has been kind of forgotten by the fantasy community with good reason, but you see some potential here for, for Carl Crawford to be a late-season asset? Yeah, particularly I love this series coming up against Pittsburgh. Uh, the Pirates have allowed the most stolen bases in uh, baseball this year. Wow, I did not realize that at all. 
Yeah, and not only that, because that's not that, that's just sort of an eye-catching stat. It's probably a little better to look at stolen base percentage because, um, you know, if you could play Miami a lot and and uh, and, um, and Gordon could yeah, school you, Gordon or Hamilton could, could school you, but yeah, but still, and, and that's uh, that's probably part of it for the Pirates, but. Uh, if you pair that with the stolen base success rate against them, uh, they're also second worst in baseball with a 78%. So, um, you know, whoever's whoever's doing it is, is able to do it uh, with impunity. That is interesting, actually. The Pirates and the Cubs are two of the two, two of the three worst. So uh, perhaps there is a little bit of a Billy Hamilton effect there. But still, um, you know, Crawford against uh, uh, against a Cervelli type that's you know more known for his. Um, uh, no more for his framing than his than his uh, than his arm. Chris Stewart has a great arm, but um, you know, kind of that's one guy. If you can, if you really want to watch, then watch the nights that Cervelli is uh, is playing and, and put Crawford out there for those. It's going to be a little bit tough. Maybe this is more of a DFS conversation because uh, you need to. You kind of want to have a righty pitcher on the mound for Crawford. Um, did I get that right? Um. Yes. 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 Sorry. Just for some he, reason, he's, I he's a left-hander. Yeah. So you want you want a righty pitcher and Savelli panel in line, but you know that's that's you know there's probably two or three games there that are good, and uh, so I like that. I like that one. You know, uh, there are a couple names though that I liked a little better uh, due to schedule reasons. Um, the Cubs are second worst, uh, and the uh, Brewers have six games coming up uh, against the Cubs. And uh, Segura's, you know, in the same sort of Meyer situation where he's playing uh, either for a new team um, or or to keep for, himself established know, with the Brewers or revive his career. Really, I mean, yeah. he's he's playing to to put himself back on track. So stone bases, um, you know, aren't the best stat in the world, but they they'll catch some some people's eyes and they'll prove that his legs are doing good. And uh, six games against the Cubs, who've given up the second most stone bases in baseball and have the third. Um, worst stolen base success rate against. Uh, I think I like that one. And then Abraham Amante, the Twins. Uh, you know they've given only given up seventy eight stolen bases. Um, so they they aren't in the in the crew with the Pirates and the Cubs who've given up one hundred and twenty seven and one hundred and twenty two. Um, but the Twins have only caught nineteen runners, so they have allowed eighty percent. Um, and I don't uh, unless yeah unless. Uh, it's all Altuve or something like I, nothing comes to mind goes. I, I, there's no like Billy Hamilton guy. That's, that's uh, the, that. the, the Royals, I guess, as a general team, uh, but, but still, are they running wild this year? Yeah. That, no, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, so as much as Abraham, Abraham Amante is probably the most, uh, fringe, you know, bat on this list, which is saying something cause it's a fringy list in terms <laughs> of bats. Uh, uh, and, and you know, Amante's only stolen four, which is not an amazing number. At least if you sort of pair that with the series, uh, the series against the um, against the Twins, then you might get something out of there. No, I, I think that's a good call on Almonte. And Almonte's also been delivering across the board while running too, so that kind of helps. Again, I don't know if it's a hot hand situation. Don't know if he's going to stay hot, but he's been you know multi hit games, couple homers couple triples so if you get some of that with the speed that's nice with regards to Segura 
I don't know how much this enters for players necessarily. I'm sure it's a, a player-to-player sort of situation. But that nice round number of 30 would look pretty good on his ledger to kind of uh, hide or, or distract from some of the other awfulness, which uh, he's at 24 right now. And maybe he is. Maybe he feels incentivized to get up there. And six more from this time period would be awesome from, from somebody. So Segura... Another great reason that I like him is because there's a good chance that you can you can afford to cut somebody for him because uh, shortstop's been difficult this year. Middle infield has been difficult. So it, it's not a tough situation to envision somebody having a poor shortstop that they'd like to put in uh, Segura for. Not that he hasn't been poor, but if you need the steals, then you go for it. Cattell Marte is another nice one for that same reason, by the way, that he's a shortstop. He's been running wild. Doing a little bit else. Uh, decent OBP that I like. The 337 OBP for him has helped uh, Cattell Marte. Obviously, the more you get on base, the better you're going to be. The problem with a lot of these base stealers is they carry sub-300 OBPs, and you're like, well, when are you even going to run? So that's one thing I do like about uh, Marte as well, the middle infield eligibility. And then uh, I-, I want to ask you what you thought about Kelby Tomlinson because I, I don't know how much is there. But it seems like the guy is in the mix regularly. And, and, and you look at his, his season line, it's, there's no real pop, but 295, 351, 410, four stolen bases in 36 games. Playing time should be there because it's looking like uh, Joe Panic's not going to come back. Do you have any love for Kelby Tomlinson other than his sweet, sweet glasses? <laughs> uh, no, you know. Normally, you can what you would say of a guy coming up with the uh, Giants is he makes a lot of contact, um, and uh, and that's not necessarily true for Tomlinson. I mean, his his swing strike and strikeout rates are exactly average. Um, you know, he's sem- somewhat patient, uh, but he hasn't really shown demonstrated uh, power, and this would be the really upper ranges of his power, the 114 ISO. So you're talking about a zero guy, mostly likely. Uh, when it comes to that, when it comes to stolen bases, you know, he stole 49 double A. Sometimes, you know, people steal bases just to just to show the, 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 the big club they can, you know, and then that's going to change a lot when they get to the big when they get to the big leagues. Um, and, you know, they can't necessarily steal out of the eighth spot um, or the seventh spot in the lineup uh, with with pitchers coming up and stuff. So. Uh, there's definitely some weird stuff that happens when you come to the big leagues, and even though he stole 49 bases in 2014, um, I would, I would, uh, I don't think he'll ever steal more than 20 bases in the major leagues. So we're fading Kelby Tomlinson, sweet, sweet name, sweet, sweet glasses. Okay, that's totally fair. I just wanted to know because I've only seen him a couple times, and like I said, I'm not overwhelmingly impressed. Yeah. He's been getting it done. So uh, we He's like. All right. Panic's going to get healthy at some point too. I mean, Panic is starting to swing. You know, a little better. I mean, you know, he's in and out, but at some point he'll be he'll feel better. I hope. I hope Joe Panic <laughs> had a great season, and uh, I thought the most recent report though was was leaning toward toward no for the rest of the season. So uh, Bruce Bochy right. said that he would be surprised, quote unquote, if, if he played again this season. So that's a bummer if you, if you're holding Panic. We would we would go elsewhere there. We we would go Segura Marte to put in that middle slot. Maybe you have another another person you could put at second base, as opposed to just getting uh, Panic's replacement, which has been Tomlinson. So we like Crawford, Segura, Marte, and Almonte as a group here. Let's jump over to the strikeouts and, and finish there because. We know people do this all year. Obviously, they, they they stream guys to try to pile up strikeouts. 
we're we're in that clutch time now though where you where you really have to be careful with it especially if you're in ratio races because the the strikeouts could come at a cost again we'll talk about the league leaders in the last 30 days Clayton Kershaw has 59. Chris Sale has 57. They're amazing. Jump down a little bit to our guys, and we're looking at Rysel Iglesias with 43 strikeouts in 36 innings. Anthony Desclafani with 39 and 37. Aaron Nola with a, an even 36 in 36. Drew Smiley, 35 and 32. Irvin Santana, 34 and 32 and a third. John Lamb, 32 strikeouts in 27 innings. Taylor Youngman with 32 and 32. And then Erasmo Ramirez, after his excellent start yesterday, near no-hitter, has 28 and 33 and two-thirds innings, but 15 in his last two starts over 12 and two-thirds. So a lot of names there, a lot of interesting guys, guys we've talked about all year. Actually, three different uh, Reds rookies, which is impressive. Iglesias at the top of the list we both love, but... I think we're. I think I can speak for you when I say we're both terrified that he's going to be shut down. So he's he's the obvious recommendation from a pure skill standpoint. But how many more innings do you think we're even going to get? Yeah, I have, I have no idea. And the performance has been up and down enough, and the, the the sheer number of innings he doesn't have, like you know, the, the fact that he's never pitched 100 innings before in his life. Didn't pitch last uh, year at all, right? Yeah, I mean it's who that's that one's hard because, um, especially because they said they're going to go by feel. They're they're going to just kind of kind of know it when they see it, sort of thing for the Reds. I think I'd rather have Disclafani right now. I mean, one one thing that um, also isn't going to show up. I mean, Iglesias had problems, you know, keeping his velocity in game early on in the, in the season, and so um, you know. If that crops up, not only will they be more likely to shut him down, but also he'll have some bad games, you know. So, uh, and, and Discafani in the meantime has actually made some sort of changes to his, you know, his arsenal. He's 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 pitching differently. He's starting to use the curve more than the change as his, as his third pitch, and it's led to a lot more strikeouts and I think better command. So I, I'm hoping to talk to him today when I go into the clubhouse, and I think. What I'll find is that he'll he'll say that he can command the curve a little bit better than the change, um, and that's that's helped him stay out of bad counts and and uh, and uh, help him you know maybe he hangs the ha- the, the changeups some I don't know so even though the changeup still has decent movement he hasn't really been able to get average swing strikes out of it so at this point it's comfortably his fourth pitch um, and um, but it's good he found a way to be successful anyway. And, uh, you know, he's coming off of a great start against St. Louis with 10 strikeouts and one walk and four hits in six innings. That was fantastic. Um, and, and since he, he started there, he'll, he'll start again. One, two, three, four, five. At Milwaukee. Uh, Milwaukee's not great. At um, St. Louis. Three, four, five. At St. Louis against for a reprisal. Hopefully their um, offense is doing bad. At Washington. The, a substitute uh, game. Yeah, it'll probably be his last start. But um, yeah, unless he starts against the Cubs uh, to start the next series, uh, I would say the schedule is okay for him. Um, maybe slightly better schedule, at least the next start. Maybe what you want to do is pick up Aaron Nola for his next start against Atlanta, um, where it's in Atlanta, which I think is important because he's shown to be a little bit homer prone. And you know, the last blow up was in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, um, and that's you know it's not the kind of Coors type situation where it used to be, but 
it still uh, gives up homers a little bit more likely than Atlanta. And, you know, Atlanta's not hitting homers. So, oh, no, um, yeah, between the two of those, I might do something where I use Nola to avoid uh, Discafani in Milwaukee, uh, and then I switch over to Discafani to try to get him in the St. Louis, Washington to finish the season. To your point there, uh, Discafani himself has a bit of a home road split, obviously playing a great American ballpark, and, and it and it's not only tied to the homers, but that definitely jumps out. He has a 1.1 homer per nine at home for Descofani and 0.5 homers per nine on the road. So even though some of those road starts, the opposition isn't necessarily easy with Milwaukee and St. Louis and Washington. Um, that that has been where he's been better anyway. So, uh, and I guess there would be a chance that if he makes that Washington start, like I said, that's a that's a makeup game there, a one off on a Monday. I guess there's a chance he could start at Pittsburgh in that final series of the season. But uh, I got to imagine he's coming up on innings at some point. He's already got a buck sixty nine for the year. So keep an eye on that. I like your call on Nola uh, as somebody that you can stick with. Had a bad start recently, but the thirty six and thirty six is nice. I like John Lamb, too. Um, by the way, since you are technically a rookie, I guess you could pitch for the Reds tonight, right? Because yeah. they, they only they only start rookies these days. Literally, they have a five-man rookie rotation with John Lamb, Michael Lorenzen, uh, Anthony Descofani, Rysel Iglesias, and Kevius Sampson. It's crazy. That's, All rookies. You know, as much as he's getting swing strikes, he's been a little wild. It, 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 uh, it, it, this would have to be a situation where you really need strikeouts and you don't really worry about anything else. If you're in multiple pitching battles and strikeouts aren't all you need, but they just happen to be the place where you can make the most gains, I'm not sure I would recommend Lamb because, yeah, he's been he's wild. Barely, he's gotten hit around. Uh, he's gotten barely, beat up a little bit. He's not. He's barely making it to the sixth inning, so you know wins may not happen for you. So, especially considering the team behind him right now. So exactly, I still like Taylor Youngman. Uh, you know, he's he's. He's had some hiccups, but it seems like every time he has a hiccup, he bounces back, and and that's what I did like about him when I when I wrote him up was that you know I think we've seen some real skill changes here that at the first sign of distress you don't have to jump off board and say oh god this was a failure I should have known you know he gave up four uh, five and in four innings at Washington then bounced back with six scoreless gave up six in Miami of all places, which was a, a huge bummer and wasn't excellent in Pittsburgh. His next start, which was just a couple days ago, six innings, four runs, but seven strikeouts. So I still like Taylor Youngman too, uh, as, as somebody that you can use. And then, there, and then Erasmo Ramirez, I mentioned him. Um, I thought you had a great piece about him and, and he did it. He did you a nice favor as well by going out, throwing a gem shortly after, which gave you a chance to put out the article yet again, for those who missed it, uh, four or five days ago, Erasmo Ramirez has had a fantastic season, and there has been a key but simple change uh, that, is, that has spurred him, and you learned about that. What was that change for Erasmo Ramirez that has helped him be so good this year? Yeah, it was kind of fun. He said that you know, he can't really keep the slider down. Like He has troubles keeping the slider down, and that sounds like a hanging change, but he still gets decent whiffs on the slider in the zone. And uh, so it's, it's an okay pitch. It's just, it just has a hard time really burying it. So... Uh, they said, well, you know, Tampa said you can't you can't uh, necessarily bury it, but you, you can get it in the zone. We, you prove that time and again. So why don't you use it as a strike stealing pitch? So, uh, um, you know, the way he put it was, if you can't throw it for a ball, throw it for a strike. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's so happy go lucky. I wasn't making fun of his accent. More of his, uh, he's just just uh, he's just happy. He's super happy. So I, re- um, I read it. 
yeah, when I read it, because he just says, I couldn't throw it, uh, you know, I can't throw it for a ball at all, so you got to throw it early in case it's a strike, because he couldn't get guys to chase right, after yeah. it. And, and you mentioned it's still getting beat up, the, the slider is a little bit, but... But they're swinging less. Exactly. They're swinging less, so that's what he's managed to, because he uses them in uh, strike counts, in fastball counts, when people see that it's not a fastball, they're kind of sitting fastball, when they see it's not a fastball... They decide not to, to, to swing. That's kind of how you use a curveball to steal a strike. You throw a curveball 0-0, zero, zero, and they're looking fastball, you know, first pitch. When they see that curve, they just, they just don't swing, and then, boop, it falls in. So, um, you know, it, it makes it hard to, to, to have a good measure of, of um, command when it comes to, to breaking balls because that if you took that, that stolen strike fastball, that the stolen strike curveball, or Erasmo Ramirez, the stolen strike slider, and you looked at it in terms of movement just by itself, and you didn't think about the count at all, then all you'd get is this idea that it's big and slow, and you know high in the zone. You'd say that's a hanging breaking ball, but you know what it is is it's not a fastball, and it's coming in a fastball count. So they decide not to swing at it, uh, and that's a good way. Like if you have a pitch that's okay but is getting battered, then maybe you should. You know, just not uh, you can throw it in counts where they were not likely to swing. Yeah, um, I love that term, stealing strikes. I think that's the, that's the perfect way, and it gave a great visualization because, like you said, the guys just kind of freeze on it, say, "Nope, spitting on that," and it ends up being a strike early in the count. Much better usage. Uh, and that's, you know, that's actually a reason to like Jungman too, because uh, Jungman's uh, uh, curve gets really good whiffs in the zone. And uh, I think that's a perfect situation, actually, to have uh, a stolen strike pitch because you can have confidence to throw that pitch in the zone uh, because even if they do swing, they might miss it. And uh, if you throw it in, in counts where, uh, you know, they're, they're not expecting they don't swing and you can get it in the zone, um, you know, that's, that's like kind of a, like the perfect pitch would have good whiffs in the zone and you could, that means you could throw it in the zone. So, you know, I think Youngman's curve is uh, probably a little bit better than we give it credit for. Um, and by nature, you know, I think honestly, even though everybody says fastball change is the, is, the, is the best sort of combo, I think fastball curve, you're much more likely to get away with uh, just having two pitches because the curve itself is so manipulatable. I think the changeup is a little bit more like you throw it and you hope it hits a certain area. The curve is a little bit more like, okay, I'm going to back foot this one I'm going to front door this one. I'm going to back door this one, you know, and you can really play around with the curve, make it more sweeping side to side, make it more up down. Whereas a changeup, the only person that's ever talked to me about manipulating a changeup is really Chase Anderson. He's the only one who said that, you know, I pronate more and, and have like a kind of a, a two strike changeup. Um, I haven't really heard that from anybody else. No, that, so that, I think it's the nature of the pitch is more difficult. That, that, that's a great call, and I, I really like that. Um, I want to finish with one thing real fast because uh, I know you got to go out and get out to the yard. You wrote your piece today on, on, on pitchers uh, who hang pitches. What were some of your uh, couple key takeaways that you had from that in terms of guys hanging pitches and getting in trouble for it? You know, I'm really trying to figure out how to use the like zone uh, whiff percentages like I just did with, uh, with Youngman um, because it just seems – it's interesting to me that, for example – um, a guy like uh, Mike Bolsinger or Jay Happ, you know, if they if they get their pitch, uh, if they bury their curveballs, you know, their breaking balls, uh, then they get you know decent whisper swing just like everybody else. 
But when they're in the zone, when they when their curveballs end up in the zone, they get really poor whiffs uh, per swing, and their pitches look really bad. And then Hap and Bolsinger, to make matters worse, the standard deviation on their curveball movement was really high. So basically, what that's saying is um, they hang. I think that's saying they hang a lot because you know unless they're using those, they're they're really lobbing some in there to try and uh, steal strikes. What I think what you're really seeing is. Um, uh, you're seeing guys who can't really command their breaking ball that well, and when those balls end up in the zone, they get hit. So uh, it made me worried about you know it's a little bit different for Heston. Heston has a large variety of movement on his on his uh, on his curve, but I think that might be a, a classification issue because he told me that his curve and slide are very similar, uh, and it's just a question of sort of how he releases it. So and then his zone whiff percentage for the curve is very high. So. Even if he does hang one, they're missing it when it's in the zone. Uh, okay. But a guy like you know, a guy like Happ and Bolsinger, um, and uh, you know Miguel Gonzalez, those guys when you know when the when their curve ends up in the zone, it gets whooped. And uh, I think that was you know for ex- and then on top of that, for Happ and Miguel Gonzalez, they had two pitches that ended up on lists like this. So. That means that they have a large variety of movement from their secondary pitches. That suggests to me they can't really command them because you, maybe you do have one pitch that you can really manipulate and kind of have different you know, movements on them. Like if you think about like Ottavino's slider um, yeah. or uh, Luke Gregerson has like three or four different ways to throw his slider, that's fine. But if Luke Gregerson also had a changeup that also had a really high uh, you know, mix of, of movements – then I would be worried because I'd say, well, that guy can't really command. Bo- you, you can't really fudge around with two pitches. And then we know what, what you know, Hap's problems in the past. Uh, we know that his curve and change aren't that good. And we know that his new pitch has made him better. His new team has made him better by having him throw the fastball instead of those other pitches. Um, I think that, you know, you get, you can kind of start to piece things together. Now, I think the last piece for this is just to really uh, do it by count somehow. Because there are going to be some zero-zero curveballs, I think that um, look a little different than uh, your two-strike curveball, mm-hmm. and it, you can kind of remove those strike-stealing pitches and just look at, you know, two-strike curveballs or, or or you know, one and two-strike curveballs, ones where you actually want them to swing and miss, and then you look at the amount of movement there on those pitches. Uh, I think you might get a better sense of cur- uh, hanging curves because to have Jesse Chavez end up first on this list made me feel like we're getting closer because Jesse Chavez hangs his curveballs, and <laughs> he does that's, like to that's, do that. Yeah, it's the thing that that's why he's has a homer issue over his career. That's why um, you know I think he's been sort of marginal for a lot of his career. Jay Happ, I think, he hangs his breaking balls. So we got the list is is has got some good names on it, but it also has guys like Jared Weaver on it who. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily hanging curve. Well, I think he's a very good command guy. So, um, you know, to have Tywan Walker be right next to Jared Weaver suggests to me that I need to, you know, keep working at this. All right, you know, well, that will wrap us up. Uh, hopefully we give you some names that you guys can use. If you have questions about specific guys, of course, you can hit us up on Twitter at Spore at Enoceras. Keep sending those ideas that you have. One, one guy did include, uh, you know, he mentioned, I think he said, streaming for homers and batting average. Batting average is really tough, um, you know, because 
we don't know who's really going to have some extra singles fall through and, 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 and be that 330 hitter the rest of the way. And, you know, in terms of waiver available guys, the guys who regularly hit for batting average, your, your Michael Brantley's, your Jose Altuve's, they're owned, obviously. They're, they're, they're going to be steadily owned at, at huge clips. Maybe like a UNL Escobar, but he's been doing it so long and so well all year that I doubt he's even really available. So I had a hard time coming up with names for that. That's why I didn't include that. But as always, please include, uh, please send tweets about stuff you'd like to hear over the next couple of weeks. Eno, have a good time at the yard. We'll talk in two days. Yeah, I think just to one last point. I think when you're if you're talking batting average, you just be a DFS player. You know, just be be a daily guy, kind of. Just That's go out a there. Great call. And, and, you know, look at the matchups and uh, just mostly uh, focus on platoon splits and park factors. Just look for, you know, a lefty on righty in Texas or Colorado and uh, and just go for hits. You know, just just like look at the single matchups because there's you know, even saying something like, hey, uh, the Seattle's going into Texas. Well, what if you have a lefty guy and he's going to get three lefties in a row in Texas? I mean, that sort of negates a lot of the, the park factor stuff. And so. Um, yeah, I think I would really just go on a daily basis almost. But uh, uh, hopefully we did give you something to, to, to work with. And uh, uh, thanks a lot for listening all year.